this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. Have you ever thought about um, running an event, you know, especially this time of uh, this time of the year? The year, well, not this time of the year, but just in this this current climate, you know, pretty uh, pretty tricky thing to do. Well, I've had an amazing, and I've got to say it again, an amazing chat with Craig Matthew. What, a, what an absolutely smashing guy! Um, Craig is an MD of the Bournemouth Sevens. It's a it's an event that combines sport and music, and um, and we have a chat about his his whole approach to to how you go about running an event and uh, and getting. The total inclusion, not just of the of the team that are running the event, but also of the community that the event is running in. And I'd like to hand you over to Craig. Craig, thank you so much for for joining me today. Um, would you would you be able to give us a little bit of background about about who you are and and what you do? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me along. Um, yeah, my name's Craig Matthew. Uh, day to day, I'm the managing director of Bournemouth Sevens Festival, uh, which is the world's largest sport and music festival. Takes place in Bournemouth uh, normally over the spring bank holiday. Uh, so that's my, my full-time role uh, and alongside that I'm also the uh, Vice President of the National Outdoor Events Association so that's uh, the UK's kind of largest and longest standing trade body specifically dedicated to outdoor events and, and festivals and yeah wear a number of other hats in the, in the festival and outdoor event industry um, including over the last few months we've uh, set something up called the South Coast Events Forum which is a group dedicated to trying to help the events community make it through the, uh, the COVID crisis um, but also on the other side of that hopefully to drive standards and collaboration uh, to make the events industry a better and, and safer place to be so yeah a few different hats on but yeah uh, just a bit of an events geek really uh, absolutely love love doing it love what we do no i mean uh, the 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 bournemouth seven um explain explain that a little bit more then what is that uh what is it about what do you do yeah, of course. So we've been running that since 2008. So Roger and Fleur Woodall basically set up a business off the back of a great idea in 2008 of combining a sports offering and a music offering. Um, Roger had a background as a semi-professional rugby player and an amazing network in rugby. Uh, and he wanted to put on a, a rugby tournament that was something akin to Dubai Sevens or Hong Kong Sevens that really kind of combined sport and music. Um, and the idea of Bournemouth Sevens was brought Bournemouth Sevens, uh, sorry, Bournemouth is an amazing destination. It's a mm. stunning part of the UK, and it kind of really fit the fit the bill for what we were looking to what they were looking to create. And uh, since then, it's kind of grown year on year. Um, and the last festival we delivered in 2019 was the 12th festival. Uh, we had 30,000 people coming through the door um, and they come to do a number of things. So they play the sports. So we have 400 sports teams playing rugby, rugby netball, dodgeball, hockey and volleyball. And that's about 5,000 people playing in sport of all different levels, all the way from super social, fancy dress netball tournaments, all the way to kind of elite rugby. And uh, yeah, just an amazing offering of kind of high pedigree sport and, and also a great weekend of fun for rugby clubs, netball clubs, touring hockey teams from across the country. And then by night, we create a festival arena around them. Um, so we have 12 individually themed festival stages. Um, and really, Bournemouth Sevens is the perfect amalgamation of sport and music. It's 
it's it's so much fun mm-hmm. uh, it's the, the kind of for me the the real selling point is the fact that the atmosphere is truly unique you're surrounded by like-minded people it's not a music festival in view of a huge headline acts and a massive uh, massive bill of lineups and you go and stand and watch a main stage actually this is a bit about being surrounded by great people and uh, yeah we we've loved doing it we're a small team of um six people now mm-hmm. who are responsible for delivering every part of that festival so we go all the way from the the sales and marketing piece securing all the teams um to the delivery uh, and including all the kind of safety planning multi-agency planning contingency reviews operations all that kind of stuff as well so we look all of that look after all of that in-house in our team of six we spend year all year planning the event um, and then during the festival itself, including our build and break period, we balloon to some sort of 1,200 staff. So, um, yeah, pretty significant operation and one which I uh, yeah really love doing. Wow. I mean, that's uh, that, when you said dodgeball, I mean, do, do you get a chance to say um, dodge, dip, duck, dive and dodge? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's actually the names of the cups. Uh, so we have, five, yeah, we have five different cups in dodgeball and they're named after each of those. So, uh, yeah. yeah. People pick based on their preferred ones. So, yeah, I mean, dodgeball's amazing, actually. We um, we originally, like, Roger, who owns the business, is is known as Dodge. Uh, and we uh, the, ori- the original reason we looked at it, it was because we thought it was quite funny having dodgeball in there. And yeah. um, we, we thought we might have, like, 20 teams, something like that. I think yeah. within a couple of years, it had grown to 96 teams, which was just absolutely yeah. phenomenal. We've had the Austrian national dodgeball team came over one year. Okay. Um, uh, they made a final but didn't win so we thought that was hilarious uh, <laughs> yeah yeah honestly it's such good fun um and that's like one consolidated morning or afternoon of sporting activity and then people go and enjoy oh. the festival a bit as well so yeah really and, cool. and, the, and the rugby side of it then i mean is it is it is it professional or semi-professional or is it all amateur or how does it work Yes, so the rugby is um, is elite touring seven sides, so okay. probably the level beneath your international touring paid mm-hmm. players. Okay. Um, so these guys go uh, all over the world playing. So they play in Hong Kong, they play in Dubai, uh, not for their countries, but in the in the kind of supporting teams that go beneath those. And we've had some amazing faces play actually uh, professionals probably in the early years of the festival when they were allowed to get away with it. Used to kind of come along and, and take part in a bit of sevens. Uh, their contracts obviously then get tighter and tighter as um, as rugby professionalized so um yeah but we we've had a whole host of people playing but cer- certainly semi-professional rugby players um players out of the kind of um third fourth tiers of english rugby so really really high standard but also teams that spend their whole summer playing sevens one right. weekend to the next going from tournament to tournament to tournament and we really are kind of the the flagship start of that season um because we're just as the main sort of 15 aside rugby season has drawn to a close uh, they get born the sevens under their belt and then they go off and, and and take in a whole host of other tournaments but nothing quite like ours i, I hesitate to add <laughs> I, I love my rugby i'm a i'm a leicester tigers uh leicester tigers yeah. fan yeah, yeah, yeah. and and um a couple of years back we went up to melrose the melrose sevens oh, yeah. what, a, what a fantastic what a fantastic weekend that was really great really great fun but uh yes yeah, so i love i love all that now, obviously, though, I mean, from a health and safety perspective, you know, that's, that's what I'd like to talk a little bit about today. But I mean, you have been absolutely devastated the last uh, the last year. How's you know, you know, how have you managed through this this process through the through the COVID process? And what you know, and what are your end games with this? You know, where are you, where are you looking to take things? Yeah, I think 
ultimately uh, and if i talk industry and kind of our events specifically in kind of isolation so if you look at the uk events industry in my opinion it's world leading in its approach to safety mm-hmm. um, and um, you see that based on the number of event professionals that leave the uk to go and work on events all over the rest of the world and kind of drive real standards in uh, things from festivals and entertainment that i'm involved in but also into kind of multi-layer games and uh, the number of people that after london 2012 went to work on other olympic games in other countries is just astonishing so um we really are world leaders in that field and we know that putting people in the field is a in a in a temporary place in a location that doesn't have all the kind of fixed assets is a is an is an inherently risky business i think so um we've always been uh I guess if you think about the, the planning process for, for any festival and for ours included is you're constantly thinking about what's the worst thing that could happen um, and then trying to, to mitigate against it. The reality is not many people, I think, planned for something that would devastate the industry to quite the level that we've seen um, mm-hmm. with, with COVID. And um, I haven't seen any festival operator or event organizer operate in anything other than a, a super professional uh, way in relation to this um the, the pandemic because we knew uh, we knew and it was evolving but we knew pretty quickly that we were going to lose the 2020 season of outdoor events and mm-hmm. that's really tough for the events industry because even though we do do some stuff in the winter the reality is that actually the 70 80 percent of your income comes through those summer months so as soon as you write that off you effectively write off all of your income for a year which is an incredibly difficult space to to be in so um yeah it's uh, i think from a, a kind of safety planning point of view we all know that events couldn't happen last year um we won't restart them until it's safe to do so till we're given that kind of that that say so and that 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 tick from the, the scientific and the medical professionals out there that are the leading the country's response to that. Um, but also we then need to make sure that our events are risk assessed properly to, to deal with kind of various levels of COVID and, and, and whatever that looks like. Um, and also kind of a, something we really need to think about in the long term is, um, is making sure that we don't over focus on the risk of COVID and forget about all our business risks as usual. No, um, so again, as I mentioned previously, events are inherently risky. So um, we've had um, horrible situations such as terrorist attacks, much more common things such as bad weather um, and all of those kind of implications for health and safety and the planning piece. Um, we need to make sure that we retain a focus on those in planning what we do when we get back to what we do with an overlay of obviously all of the covid related measures because last thing you want to do is spend so much time focusing on social distancing in your queue or or whatever uh, and miss uh, and create an opportunity for something else to go wrong so yeah trying to be really mindful of that that piece is is, is really important so yeah bit of a varied answer but i mean it's been a it's been such an incredibly tough year for the events industry. Um, as, as anyone who follows me on LinkedIn will have seen, I, I, I shout on about it a lot. And there's, I think it's an £84 billion a year industry. So financially, it contributes significantly to the coffers of the, the government but um, and the country as a whole. But on top of that, it's societal. It's, it, it's great for people. It's great for culture. And all of those things are almost immeasurable. But mm. they, they're at real risk of falling away and disappearing at the moment. And um, and I think that's the that's the genuine risk of um, of not having an end game in sight because at the moment as we sit here recording today we don't know when that will be or what that will look like. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that lack of certainty is really really difficult because staffing and like the whole community that's involved in delivering events is a little bit all over the place because do we go back to work this year? Who knows? And how long can business owners and promoters and people keep funding something that just isn't generating any income or any revenues at all? It's mm. uh, yeah, scary times. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, it's, I mean, it's lovely to hear what you said there about about not just focusing on COVID because it's so it's so easy to do that. And and like you say, there is there is there are loads of other things that you uh, that you know that 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 make your your event, um, you know, a challenge without COVID, you know, that you have to, you have to stay focused on, you, you know, you, you were saying, um, um, I think before we, before we started recording, um, but you know, about the numbers, the number of people, I mean, you know, it's a huge, huge um, increase in the number of people that come to come to work for you. So how do you, how do you go about making sure that you get the right, the right quality of people that are going to come and help you run, run an event like you are? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, just a couple of points. I'll pick up on one thing you said just at the start there. I think um, with in relation to how we're approaching the, um, the keeping our eyes on the risks and everything else is we're planning on a COVID overlay. So we're going to take all of our usual planning and overlay specific risk assessments to deal with some of the COVID issues. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, everything will become intertwined, but um, and, and just I'm thinking in terms of safety officers dedicated to the COVID uh, response because we don't want our normal safety officers that are there going crowd management issues, uh, crowding in the queues, bad weather, all of those kind of people to be thinking, I need to be enforcing uh, enforcing hygiene or masks or all these kind of bits. So we're going to really make sure we double double down on that. And um, the reality of that is that's more expensive to do. You've got more, yeah. more people working there, more people to pay. And um, that's hard to do in a year where you haven't lit in when you've gone maybe two years without any revenue. So that's the, all of that balancing act is, 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 is tough. I mean, for us, we're 12 years old, we're re- relatively well established, but uh, like an event in its infancy, whether they would even want to take on that risk and additional cost burden this year, I think is a, is a real kind of consideration. Mm. Um, in terms of your second question of how we find people, uh, we're really lucky. We have, um, we have a huge amount of people that come back to work for us year on year. Um, and they're a mixture of freelance event professionals. So people that we've met through industry, like actually the events industry, despite the size and bulk of the numbers I spoke earlier, is an incredibly small space. Um, and you're probably always within two or three degrees of separation from someone that can help you with something. So working on different events and getting to know different people is how we find kind of our key, our key people. Um, but a lot of our event staff are not necessarily event people, uh, event professionals. They may work in sport or they may have just been helping out in the, in the past of the festival. So they may have come along to volunteer or, and all those kind of things. And actually, because we try and create such an inclusive community where everyone's sort of pulling together to deliver um, an event together, we, we have an awful lot of people that just come back year on year. It goes in their diary when they see it's uh, happening and they uh, they leave their, their more normal life and they come and work and help us on front of house or something like that. Um, so that's how we get a lot of our kind of event staff and our event crew. Um, 
and then obviously the kind of professional nature of people that we need so health and safety consultants um, anything that's involved in the construction of the site any kind of all of that um, it's about a thorough um, a, a thorough tender process as and when we need those people and, and when we highlight them um, and the reality is that's grown as the festival's grown um, mm -hmm. we had probably one sharp year in 2012 uh, which was my second year of working in the business where we realized Christ this festival's got big yeah. um, and we need to really up our game here because mm -hmm. uh, there, there's a real risk that if we don't continue to increase our improve our planning and our safety considerations and all of that kind of stuff at the same rate that the um the program is going uh then then we're going to be there's going to be a potential issue here and that's that was that was really important that we realized that um and it's really important to anyone that thinks they can just go and throw an event on uh, and it will just be a safe environment. I, that doesn't just happen. Um, and you you maybe get a year or two um, of um, kind of being under the radar, not being realised. Um, and absolutely, in those two years, you should really deliver to a standard. But the moment the multi-agency kind of people start to realise who you are, what you're doing, the impact you're having on the local community and all that kind of thing, if you haven't thought ahead, and fortunately we had, but if you hadn't, then you're in for a world of pain. Um, mm -hmm. And that really isn't a, um, a good place to be in. So um, we, it's really interesting. We're working at the moment in our business on an online events course, um, which is going to talk about all the different ways of working in the events industry. So talking mm -hmm. about sales, promotion, marketing, um, all the, all these kind of bits. And there's, there's a health and safety piece. And whenever I talk to people about keeping people safe, there's there's sometimes people are like oh, i just don't need to think about that that's um, my safety team will think about that or um we'll pay some consultants to think about that actually the reality is it needs to be so firmly embedded in everything you do from the very start to the very yeah. end mm -hmm. um, and that comes down to your messaging when you're communicating with people in advance of them walking through the doors uh, your obligations to those people and the way you need to act for those people doesn't start when they get to your to your gate i mean it's it's from when they buy their ticket do they know what they can and can't bring do they know how they have to behave Mm -hmm. are they compliant are they like all these kind of things are real considerations that you really need to embed and i personally i love it i find it fascinating i actually much prefer that side of things to to kind of the, the flash and bangs of um of, mm -hmm. event, of event promotion because i love the the fact that you can bring people to an event put them in a space that wasn't there two weeks ago you can make sure that they have an amazing time and that if they need it they're going to be safe at all times and the medical providers are going to be there and security know exactly what to do and how to deal with it and uh, you're in, you're really managing that impact on locals and neighbors and residents i mean at bournemouth sevens um we i think multiplied by a factor of five or six, the population of the area that we host our festival in. Mm -hmm. So we, we've got 30,000 there yeah, over, over a bank holiday weekend. Um, and there's only what, five or 6,000 people in the location, in the locality. Mm -hmm. So that's gonna put burden on things. So you really need to think about that kind of impact and, and how you manage that impact and communicate with those people from an early door. So, yeah. I think I think one of the things, um, you know, one of the, the different 
issues that you you may well be be faced with is is actually the local community getting their they're getting their confidence back to actually run an event with with thirty thousand strangers coming into the area. It was never an issue, but now it it is. You know, so how how, how do you go about addressing that kind of things and getting getting the community confident? Yeah, I think, I mean, the reality is, I think that has always been an issue. Um, okay. We, uh, I think uh, as an event organiser, um, you'd be wearing some rose-tinted glasses if you thought everyone that lives nearby is is loving your event happening, because the reality is it has an impact on them over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we, the principles that we've used to manage that in the past, we will continue to use. So for, um, for me, that's about communication. Uh, that's effective comms with with those people it's about making yourself accountable reachable um so we go and we go to the local community we go to the parish council we go in meetings we sit there we let them talk to us explain their issues uh, and this is all historic so if they say well actually we get a litter issue as a result of this festival or um or noise is a real issue or people are like walking up our driveway because they're trying to sneak into the event or or whatever. It's in our interest to work with them to understand that and to put measures in place to mitigate it. So our community deployment plan is, uh, is about one eighth of our total security deployment is off off site and is in the perimeter of our site, looking after that local community. Um, by its very nature, when we solve one problem, the next problem moves further down the down the road, and we then have to solve that in the following year. But we do that by talking and sometimes listening, because sometimes people just want to tell you about the the issues that they've had or that the problems that they've had. So we know that we're never going to find a community that is all embracing of everything that we want to, we want to do. I mean, we have a 1am licence, so we run pretty late into the evening, um, mm-hmm. and that's um, that's quite late for people if they're, if they're hearing it and, and stuff. So what can we do to mitigate that? We, okay, so we work with noise management consultants. We do some, um, we have roaming noise uh, officers of our, of our own um, that go to these eight, predetermined locations to go okay what are my what are my volumes like here mm-hmm. uh, and they're directly corresponding to our audio engineers on site to to manage any issues live in the instant that they happen um, and the minute you do that you take ownership of the issues and you put a face on them I, i've always found that to to, to be of real benefit um, i think in specific in relation to covid times uh, that public confidence is going to be is going to be an issue, um, and that's going to be a that's going to be about press making sure that we're we're honest about the reality of of what the event that we're ty- we're, we're trying to deliver. Um, we can only be compliant. So we need to make sure that everything that's expected of us, we go over and above that to deliver. Um, and that protects us as a business, but it also means that we can say with confidence, well, we've taken the latest advice and guidance from the Director of Public Health for Dorset in our case, who is now involved in this, the SAG process. Um, and this is what it is. Um, and we, we have to be a little bit thick skinned in terms of some of those people that just don't want uh, to people to come to, to the local area. 
Um, we're quite lucky, and I think we, what we might see this year in the same fashion is that um, something like 70 to 80 percent of our ticket holders come from a BH postcode. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So the reality is people aren't travelling from all over the country to come to Bournemouth 7s. Some of the teams do, absolutely, and we have some historically have had some international travel as well. Um, And I think that's very unrealistic that that will happen this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, if we're putting something on for these people that are based locally um, and it's organised and it's safe, then that for me is a better solution to to the issues than... um, what we've seen a few times this year which is where a few rogue operators have just started doing their own thing and i think that's a real risk actually is that in the long term if we don't start delivering properly organized properly considered through a sag process safe events then you might get illegal raves you might get all of these kind of bits happening Mm -hmm. um with and in my opinion it's far better to have a regulated and communicating events industry which as i said right at the start is a world leading industry uh delivering events and keeping people safe than uh, than pushing people to the margins and then taking it like uh, in their own in their own way and stuff hmm. I, lo- I love what you were saying in that about um about taking ownership of the issue and, and putting a face to that you know i love i think that's so important and i think you know, in in business in general, I think that's a that's a really really great approach, isn't it? To you know to to really own own the problem there and 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 you know and do something do something about it. What is your um you know what is your approach to risk in general then? Because because obviously you need to keep your events fresh and you need to keep them you know exciting and and engaging. So how, how do you how do you go about about you know assessing assessing risk? I want to say assessing risk. I just think. The, the concepts, the ideas of what you want to you want to put on, you know, to see whether it is actually feasible. Is what we're talking about here something that we can actually do, or is it just a you know just no 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 chance? You know, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, we always uh, we always err on the side of wanting to be creative. Yeah. So we would really like to find if we want to add something into the festival, we really want to go as far as we possibly can to make that happen and make that a reality um and um and that's a nice approach to have actually because when you're solutions orientated rather than problem orientated i think you end up looking for ways to make things happen so Mm -hmm. um one of the things we spend a lot of our summer doing normally is going to other events seeing what other festivals are doing uh it's a great perk of the job is that research at, at other events and taking ideas away um and actually there's there are some but i would say there are very few truly genuinely original ideas out there now Mm. so it's about seeing what else is out there what other people have done and what you can kind of pull in and learn from um and i think if we're honest about it we're constantly learning constantly evolving so we'll come up with a concept we will drop it in so say we want a new festival arena at at the festival right where's it come from is it just an absolute idea out of the blue or is it an an amended version of something we've seen elsewhere okay well if someone else has done it we can probably do it Mm -hmm. we just need to make sure if it's a complete out of the blue we need to think about how much they're going to cost 
how feasible is it um, and what are the kind of impacts going to be on the rest of the event in delivering that so mm -hmm. um so we chuck all of that into the melting pot and that's where it's great to have our team of six and we go right okay what do you think what do you think we know our event inside out and that was something i would urge to event organizers trust your gut instinct you know your event better than anyone else so listen to it if you think it you can make it work you probably can um but then once you've done that, once you've thrown it around and once you've got a few iterations into a final kind of product and concept, then the whole point of working with safety advisory groups is to, to gain, their, gain their feedback, to gain their input. Um, and, um, and SAGs are, are they're, they're a bit of a law unto their own all over the country in different locations. There seems mm -hmm. to be a, a pretty... Uh, from one local authority to the next is a different SAG process. And I think that's something that we really need to address in the industry moving forwards is trying to get a consolidated approach to advise like advice. Um, but the, the, I think the key takeaway from a safety advisory group is their advice is advisory. It's not, it's not legislative and it can't really govern what you do. While some of the members do have powers to change and alter things, the advice should be listened to and taken on board, but you as the event organizer ultimately take that risk because you're the people that if something goes wrong, you'll end up in front of a judge and trying to explain yourself in a, in a coroner's court or something like that if anything went really seriously wrong. So you need to believe fundamentally that you're, what you're delivering is well considered, well thought out. You've got, if it's a new structure, you've got structural calculations done. You've got people that have signed off and said that this is delivered as it was meant to be delivered. Mm -hmm. um, so what that's all of that kind of safety advisory planning piece is so so important speak to the experts we in our plans for the 2020 festival that never happened plan to move our campsite um, to a different area of the main festival site um, the reality when we spoke to the fire brigade about that was they were going to struggle to get um, struggle to get a unit to it in as quick a time as they would feel confident that they needed to so we had uh, we had made come up with a contingency plan that involved us having full-time on-site firefighting capability um, mm -hmm. which meant that they would be able to stop something for long enough for the kind of main units to to get there and to arrive and stuff so um, and that I think is that's an honest conversation that's us going to the, the fire like fire brigade Dorset and um, Dorset and Wilts that we deal with and saying well this is what we want to do and then going we're going to struggle to get a, an appliance through there quickly so you need to make sure that you've got measures in place to deal with it odds are there's not going to be a fire on your campsite but mm -hmm. at least you've had that conversation you've explored it um, and you've got something in place that really kind of uh, really matters um, and then I think the final piece on that is get it written down so a conversation is great, but in 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 court it doesn't it doesn't cover you for anything. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you really need to make sure that that decision making process is noted and recorded, and you can go. Uh, actually, if if I ever needed to get this out and say, well, this was the feedback from the fire uh, from the fire officer or whatever, then then this is what this is where we landed out. Um, and then for me, once you've gone through that planning process and you're on site, it's about the quality of your safety officer um, and their approach to delivering the event. I've worked, uh, I've been working in the events industry for 12, 13 years, and I've worked with a whole host of different safety officers. So I've worked with some that wander around with a clipboard and tell you what you've done wrong. Uh, and I've also worked with similar ones to the ones we work with now who uh, walk around if they spot something and they can fix it they'll fix it 
Um, if they can't do that, then they'll work and they'll pull everyone together to have a consolidated conversation about how we make that work and, and, and so forth. And those pieces, those individuals are so, so valuable because they keep your event safer than, in my opinion, a safety officer who, who rattles around just writing a list of stuff that might go wrong and not really involving themselves in the solution. So um, I... Uh, like I'm not a safety officer, I don't have um, safety qualifications, um, but I play a really fundamental role in ensuring our event is safe. That's mm -hmm. uh, that that process has to be institutional. You have to have that real accountability and responsibility that goes our number one objective for keeping these thirty thousand people safe. That has to it has to be that number one piece mm -hmm. because everything else is is, is a bonus. So um, and if you can put that into the institution, if you're your senior leadership and your ownership, and they all buy into that piece. Um, and in some cases, and with a lot of promoters, that isn't their number one priority. That isn't why they do what they do. But if as long as they buy into it and fully understand it, I think that really, really helps as well. So have you as a business then, you know, put together some some values and a vision, you know, that, uh, that, that, that incorporates that approach? I mean, how do, you, how do you work? How do you how do you get that instilled through the business? I think it's in culture. I think it's in business culture. Um, for me, that is the single most important thing in delivering a successful event is mm -hmm. having great people involved that really buy into what you do. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as you have disparate visions of what the world should look like or what your event should look like, then you lead yourself into kind of into troubled locations so really good communication and really good buy-in from your team is important um, the ownership piece that i mentioned earlier um, whilst having great culture and team that feel emboldened to make decisions is important you also need that hierarchical structure that ultimately is the the, the decision maker or is going to be where the, where the blame lands so they need to be comfortable with that process as well because um that and finding that balance between those two can be a little bit difficult um but but ultimately i believe your people become the the vision of what your company they're the embodiment of what your company vision is so if your company wants to be cool creative innovative uh, and forward thinking then if your people are that then your business will be like that absolutely mm. if your people feel uh, unmotivated stuck uh, frustrated um, they're not going to be driving in the same fashion and therefore your outward persona of the business is going to be completely different. Um, and I think really listening and engaging and communicating well with all of your stakeholders, so your audience, your contractors, your suppliers, like through COVID, I have found so much benefit of the fact that when we deal with people, we've dealt with them nicely and positively and openly um, and all of that energy invested in relationships with all of those people really, really does come back to you when you need it the most. Um, mm -hmm. And that would be one of my real takeaways from this horrible situation. Um, and don't, like, don't get me wrong, as we talked about earlier, 2020 was a rubbish year to work in events. Um, 2021 could be, who knows? We don't, we, we don't know yet. And I don't think anyone's got a crystal ball for what this year looks like, but, um, but we've got to remain positive. We've got to, we've got to work together. We've got to treat people right. Um, and if you treat people in the right way, um, then everything that I've talked about, the, the ownership, the belief, the working together, that comes as, a, as an end product of that, in my opinion. 
That's wonderful. I'm just smiling. I'm just smiling listening to you, Craig. You are so passionate. It's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful to hear. So where where are you? Where do you want to take this uh, this event then? Let's um you know where you know has it has it got a limit? Is there is there a limit on how big it can get, or is that is the limit just just uh just your imagination? You know where, where you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, legally, technically, there is currently a capacity limit. So uh, absolutely, we're, we're, okay. we're operating to that at the moment. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know how events are licensed, it's it's through the Licensing Act, which is the same mechanism which which governs um, governs pubs. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a bizarre system, really. It's uh, uh, but it has bans for for large numbers, and and that's the world we operate in, and we're. We're slowly working and have been working since day one to increase our capacity, but we've done that organically. So we never wanted to go from like 5,000 people one year to like 35,000 people the next year because mm-hmm. it's unsustainable. You might do that. You might achieve that because you might put loads of people into the, like you might invest heavily in a lineup or something like that. And actually you get those numbers. <laughs> the following year you really struggle to to get them back because someone else has got a better lineup or something like that so mm-hmm. for us it's been about putting i don't know five percent ten percent more people in year on year mm-hmm. um, and then slowly working our way through capacity uplifts um mm-hmm. and that means in the bands of capacity uplift we're maybe four or five years between those happening um and as i said earlier managing the community comes back to you really really well when you put in a license application for a bigger festival. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you've emboldened them, you've spoken to them, of course, there'll be some objections. Like anyone who ever tries to put an event license in and doesn't get an objection deserves a high five uh, Mm -hmm. because you're always going to get some consideration from outside of that. But but where we've done that in the past, we've worked with an incredible uh, licensing solicitor, a chap called Philip Day, um, and we've we've really engaged with the community. We've spoken to them before we've put our application in and said, here is site of our application. These are the measures we're going to implement. What do you think? OK, yeah, here's your feedback taken on. Right. Then when the actual one goes in, you've done it properly and you've had that kind of thorough consultation and conversation process. So in pure licensing term, that's where, where we're at. Um, the reality at the moment is I personally believe we're in the sweet spot of event size. Um, I think if you can get too big, you end up uh, forcing numbers through the door to uh, and then increase your costs um, and you lose your core. You lose your credibility of what you are as an event. So for us, um, we're limited a little bit in the number of sports teams that can play at our site. A rugby pitch is big. <laughs> we've got eight, we've got eight rugby pitches on our 65 acre site. Mm-hmm. Couldn't just whack another a ninth one in there. We haven't got space for it. So, um, so the sports teams is, is, is somewhat limited uh, in terms of what we do, unless we look at different and additional sports. Mm-hmm. So again, dodgeball is great. Dodgeball is two for us inflatable arenas, the size of um, badminton court. And put loads of them in mm-hmm. uh, so that we we added the number of sports people that could get to our event by adding dodgeball um, this year we're adding something called uh, and it's not quite announced yet but it's the national fitness games which is going to be um, it is all around kind of crossfit um, sporting physical fitness people people that love training um, people not like me um, and uh, <laughs> they absolutely love it and that's a really cool addition for us this year um, and we can get a couple 
couple of hundred teams on one rugby pitch. Um, so all of a sudden you sacrifice like a 16 team rugby tournament um, and, uh, and, but you've got a whole host of more people. So it's constantly balancing that. Um, but my point really was that we never want to dilute the ratio of festival goers to sports people too much because mm-hmm. then the event changes what it is. Yep. It stops being a sports focused event. It stops being an amalgamation of sport and music um, and we could just keep pushing like a 65 acre site could, could take 40, 50,000 people. And like, if it was just a festival site, yep. um, but that isn't what we want. We don't want to be that because mm-hmm. there's loads of them. Uh, yep. There's 1500 festivals in the UK each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one that we're aware of that delivers a proper, proper music festival next to a sporting tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've seen other people copy uh, and try to replicate what we do. Um, and they tend to do it for a couple of years and then, uh, and then kind of disappear. And I think that just shows how difficult this industry is to make work. And if mm-hmm. you do make it work and when you make it work, uh, stick to what you do and stick to what you do well. Um, we've looked at all sorts of other locations. We've looked at um, Roger, who I've mentioned a few times, um, is an entrepreneur by nature to his very heart, to his very core. So we've looked at all sorts of other options, other locations, other dates, other times. Nothing's ever ticked every single box for us. Um, and actually, that means that, therefore, we haven't done it. And Bournemouth Sevens is still growing. It's still getting bigger year on year. It's still doing that five to ten percent growth year on year. Um, it keeps our team in. It keeps our team in work. It keeps us doing what we do. Um, so let's not let's not push it too too much. Um, and as I said earlier, Bournemouth as a destination, as a resort, is a beautiful, beautiful place. It's as close to going on holiday in the UK. Uh, and that may well become more of a thing as people staycation a bit more over the next few years, but it's as close to going abroad as you can get in the UK and, uh, and therefore it's a destination and people really want to come down. So um, with all due respect, we don't want to do one in the, to have to do one further, further away from us that we have to travel loads of distance to achieve or to make happen. One of the real joys for us is our event site is, 10 minutes down the road from our offices mm-hmm. um, and we we live and breathe it and uh, I sit as uh, I'm the vice chair of um, Bournemouth Christchurch and Paul's destination management board which is all about bringing people to the local area um, and through working with people like that we know that, that we can keep building and escalating what we've got here as well so yeah that, that's that's our vision really keep doing what we do and just hopefully get people into a field and having a great time again, because uh, I think we've never needed to be sociable more than we will need to when this is over, because um, hopefully we'll all go into events really respecting, appreciating what they are and the work that goes into them, where probably we took them for granted a little bit in the past and we really appreciate the value of being surrounded by other people who like the same things. That's absolutely amazing. Hey, look, you know, how can, how can people get hold of you? What's the best way for people to get hold of you? Uh, probably the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. So that's where I kind of uh, yeah, am most prominent. So yeah, my, my name's Craig Matthey. So just search me on there. And um, yeah, that's, that's where I kind of share my, my industry views and experience. And uh, yeah. And the, the event, what's the, what's the website for the event? So Bournemouth7s.com is the website. And we're across social media on all Bournemouth7s, uh, on all social media channels. Um, just search Bournemouth. Uh, and then the number seven, the letter S. Uh, and you can find all about us on there. Hey, thank you ever so much for, for, for spending some time with us today. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks very much for inviting me on.
Craig, thank you so much for, for spending some time with me. I am absolutely beaming. The, uh, the the passion that you have got for for your uh, for your job, your career, is just so infectious. It's it's, it's wonderful. So uh, thank you ever so much for that. And there are so many takeaways as well. I mean, I um you know I love what you said about uh, and I mentioned it in the in the interview what you said about taking ownership for the issue and being really really put a face to that issue put a face to that ownership and that for me is so powerful you know and people in business should be doing that all the time you know really taking taking on responsibility taking ownership and uh, and working to get things get things resolved i um <clears throat> i love what you said as well about um you know about you know not not treating covid um as you know, as the be on end or everything we've got to sort out, but but run your run your business, look at your risks, look at your challenges on running your business, and then overlaying COVID over the top. And I thought, what a great idea that is, you know. And I think many businesses could look to do that, and uh, you know, and, and still include it in the way that you're doing things, but 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 don't lose sight of the hazards and the risks and the things that were causing you problems pre-COVID are still going to be there now, you know. So still get a good control of those. It's um you know it sounds so exciting you know I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna probably have to come down and uh, and actually experience the uh, the event because uh, if the event is anything like you know your passion in it it will be absolutely amazing so thank you once again I've taken loads from uh, from this uh, from this episode and I really hope the people that are listening um, do if you could please um you know sort of share this episode if you could subscribe press the uh, press the like button, um, then that'd be really, really fantastic. I also want to talk about um, something new that, uh, that myself and James McPherson at Rebranding Safety are, are offering, and it's called Project Miletium. That's M-O-L-L-I-T-I-A-M. And it's a, it's a, a membership uh, uh, service organisation, I suppose, that, um, that we're looking to, to help people grow as individuals. And um, we would love you to just go to www.projectmiletium.com have a read through what we've got on there you know what we're trying to achieve um, we've got drop-in sessions we've got uh, development sessions we've got online resources um, there's you know mentoring and coaching and, and all kinds of uh, exciting things that are coming and um, you know we would uh, we would really love you to, to have a look and, and get involved so please um, you know please check that out hey I'll uh, catch up with you really soon bye for now Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No parts of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage. <laughs>